Hi, and welcome to From Many People's Strength, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. My name is Corey Johnson, and my pronouns are he and him. And my name is David Richards. Uh, my pronouns are they and them or he and him. Federated Co-op energy sales dropped $1.3 billion in 2020, annual report says. Yeah. yeah so... I guess <laughs> the entire in energy se- sector, uh, like the oil industry itself, uh, did suffer quite large losses early into in 2020. Yeah. Um, I think that probably makes a big difference on this. Yeah. Well, Unfederated Co-op deals largely with gasoline. Yeah. Right. This isn't like um, at first I was thinking about like, well, people still need to heat their homes, if anything, like even more so. And, you know, home heating costs – but again, they don't they don't sell natural gas. Isn't there? Isn't their big thing? They're they basically it's gasoline is their bread yeah. and butter, and so we're all driving less places. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Like, and I mean, what was it? March through April, the price of gas was at like the lowest it's been in a decade and a half or something. Yeah. Like it was like 68 cents a liter or something. Yeah. Well, and cars are getting more efficient too, right? So yeah. you need less gas to drive the same amount. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, that's not like that trend is not going to stop. Cars are not going to stop getting more and more efficient. Like I'm a huge proponent of electric vehicles, but even sticking to purely gas powered cars, um, you you have now there are like there are gasoline powered cars that are almost as fuel efficient as hybrids. Like yeah, if you look yeah. at the fuel efficiency numbers, um, you're you're probably the biggest difference between the fuel economy on a hybrid versus some of these um, really efficient um, pure gas powered cars is the flipping from city and um, highway mm-hmm. travel yeah. because. Um, you know, a gas-powered car is still going to be way more efficient. A pure gas-powered car is still going to be way more efficient on a highway than in the city, um, whereas the hybrid is is going to flip that in a lot of cases. Right. Um, but when you start looking at highway travel, which a lot of our, our uh, fuel consumption comes from those longer distance things, you know, even again, just even gas-powered cars are, are getting better. Um, same is true for trucks, um, both um, – personal as well as semis and transportation trucks, right? They're, they're getting more efficient all the time um, because it's not even environmentalism. That's just freaking dollars and cents. Right? Oh, yeah, that's like, right. <laughs> um, a shipping company who can cut their fuel budget by, I was going to say 10%, but if they can cut their fuel budget by one or 2%, that's huge. Oh yeah. That's um, right. And that's going to negatively impact the oil and gas industry. Yep. And it's not, yeah, that's, it's, again, that's not bleeding heart environmentalists causing that. That's no, the, uh, I remember even back like years and years ago, we were talking about how, uh, like when the hybrids were still new, I was under the impression that the technology existed to have uh, more efficient, uh, gasoline motors, but for some reason they weren't, being used in as many vehicles as they potentially could have been. And and the technology has only gotten better since then. So, yeah. And I think it will continue like this idea of, you know, 
100% electric by 2030 or 2050 or wherever, whatever benchmark you pick. Like, ultimately, I think that's going to become inevitable. Um, right. Or you're going to have gas-powered vehicles that are so efficient, they use the same amount of gasoline as, like, an electric car <laughs> like, yeah, in the long term, right? Because uh, um, I'm I'm not like I'm not naive enough to not realize that when I drove an electric car, it was still getting the electricity was still being generated by fossil fuels, yeah, um, yeah. just significantly less, right? Like it, it's um, you know one tenth the yes, took, even if you burn a hundred percent coal for every kilowatt that is used to um, power an electric car, the carbon footprint is still one tenth of right. the amount of gasoline it takes to drive <laughs> the same distance. Um, so yes, it, it still has a carbon footprint because the electricity gets generated as well. But electricity is just more efficient for powering a car because motors by their definition are electric and motors are electric in nature. It's electric. <laughs> like the science of motors is you have electricity being generated. It's why your battery gets charged by you driving. Um, we convert, <laughs> we convert little miniature gasoline explosions into electricity that yeah. then, again, it's more than that. And I don't want, the comment <laughs> he doesn't understand cars yeah you're right i don't understand cars um the internal but, combustion engine yeah it essentially does take gasoline and explodes it so yeah. that we can create motion and electricity it's not efficient <laughs> is what i'm it's, saying no um, exactly but we're it's, getting more and more efficient and and you know what if gasoline power cars eventually get to a point where they consume one-tenth the gasoline that they do today um to travel the same distance if we're at that stage, I don't even think most environmentalists who are focusing on outcomes rather than ideology are going to be all that bothered by gas powered cars at that point. That's right. Um, But again, that for things like refineries that still hits them in their pocketbook. So right. They FCL is (laughs) talking about, we need to figure out ways of diversifying our product because that like industries if, go in cycles. If only there were people saying this for the last <laughs> however many years. Shocking, right? <laughs> if only there was a, somebody who had mentioned that. Yeah. Horse and buggy industry feels need to diversify <laughs> in 1947. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might be late, but <laughs> better late than never. Can you save? Can you save the company? And again, I, I we're going to be using oil for a while. Still, we're not like oil isn't going away. Yeah. yeah. In I was gonna say my lifetime, maybe in my lifetime. It's hard to but, say, but yeah, yeah. oil is um, going to be around for a long time. Anyway. Yeah, oil is going to be around for at least the next couple decades, to yeah. some degree or another. It's in a diminishing role over time um, because yep. the ways in which we use oil currently are not the most efficient ways of using oil. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it just is, it's just, we don't have ways of being as efficient with oil as we can be with other sources of energy. And yep. again, this is how capitalism is supposed to work. Capitalism is supposed to push us towards better <laughs> technologies, innovation, um, and ways of, you know, <laughs> making the world better because that's where people want to spend their money. So, 
This is the test. Capitalists, <laughs> get on this. This is your test. Prove that capitalism isn't an inherently flawed and broken philosophy. This is your chance. <laughs> We're doomed, man. We're doomed. <laughs> We've now discovered astroturf lobbying groups pretending to be grassroots, yeah. but funded by the oil industry were a part of the outrage. Yep. Shocking. Shocking, I tell you. It's I don't know. I just assumed this was happening when it was happening. <laughs> yeah. Like I, well, I don't know. I guess I don't I don't know if I have that much more to say on this because yeah. Of it, course it they was, were. It was so <laughs> obvious that this was what was happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, oil industry executives uh went to Scott Moe and said, "Hey, Look at what's happening in Regina. We need to change that. And yeah. Scott Moe stuck his nose in. And I guess what is interesting about this story, and this is maybe this was again maybe n- known information when we were talking about it um, last month, um, and I just wasn't um, digging deeply enough. Everything I heard a month ago, or when this hit the 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 news the first time around, talked about how the city had put forward a motion. Um, mm-hmm. to not allow oil to advertise. But now... That's not what it was. That's not what it was. <laughs> they were still allowed to advertise. It was, it was they weren't allowed to buy naming rights. So they weren't allowed to give the city a bunch of money and have the Sandra Schmerler Leisure Center renamed as yeah. oil, Oilopolis Leisure Center. The Crescent Ex- Point. Exxon Mobile. Enterplus <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's, the Sanders Schmerler would have been fine either way. Because once something is already, they weren't going to unname things, but right, I guess right. the Northwest Leisure Center or the Southeast Leisure Center, or I guess this was the Southeast, the South Leisure Center or the Northwest, any of the ones that didn't have sort of specific names like the Sanders Schmerler or the Lawson, um, could yeah. be renamed as, you know, what have you, the, Petro yeah. Canada Dome. This is a story because our whole province listens to John fucking Gormley. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Everybody like from the southeast corner of the smallest town in Saskatchewan to up north in PA. Everybody in the province knew that Regina was banning advertisements from oil companies. Yeah. <laughs> that. That was the story. And it was not true for starters. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what was happening. And also, so now you've got people in these tiny little towns uh, talking about how bad the Regina City Council is. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're perfect because I've listened, I've I've watched in on a couple of uh, city yeah. council meetings and I'm not a big fan of everything they, they do. Yeah. <laughs> but when people who have no relation to the city are talking about yeah. the city council being so bad specifically because of this issue. That seems like a problem. Like we have a right wing problem in our province. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it, it, we talked about this in the other story as well. Like if you have to lie about your position, how strong can your position really be? If you can't even tell people what your position actually is. Yeah. Um, and people make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Of like course, if yeah. it, you know, you and I, I'm sure, and we actually, we've, we've owned up to some of them as they've happened as we've been called out on stuff. Um, I, even on this topic, the first time around, I had thought it passed city council when it right. had only passed a committee in the very next podcast where we talked about this. I said, oops, <laughs> like Maya culpa, um, 
<laughs> Mia Culpa, sorry, not my culpa. Um, <laughs> Mia Culpa. Is she an actress I, from somewhere? <laughs> 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 uh, uh, <laughs> pay for your porn, everyone. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> however, um, but yeah, I made a mistake. I said, you know, this is past city council. No, it had, it had passed committee. The next episode, uh, next podcast, come out and say, hey, I screwed up. I misspoke. It's only through committee. It's not actually through city council. Yeah. And, and we moved on. But this doesn't like this doesn't feel like that where you're like, and I'm sure people listening to us are going to say, oh, you're nitpicking, you know, advertising versus naming rights. That's just splitting hairs. Um, well, yeah. No, it's it's I, a I, major I, I, difference. I feel like it's a major difference. Like they could buy billboards and post up their, you know, pro oil propaganda all over the city if they want. It's yeah. just they couldn't name buildings. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> buildings owned by the city. They could right, still right. name their own building. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I no, I think it's a major difference. And I, okay. <laughs> I <think> that, <laughs> sure. I think that anybody who says we're nitpicking is is uh doing it like is arguing in bad faith. Yeah. It's, okay. Um, <laughs> But again, I get it. It's just it's a flat out lie at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I I think I am I am bothered by I'm bothered by falling for it. I guess like, it's like <laughs> it, it's not yeah. like it's not like this was reported wrong some places and we just like no I don't know if there was any reporting of this that talked about that didn't Specific. talk about it as advertising that that yeah. brought up the fact that it was purely about naming rights. Yeah. Um. So that's well, because it was even brought up in the same context as porn and uh, uh, like what was yeah. that? Alcohol, Alco- and tobacco. alcohol, tobacco, um, and uh, cannabis and porn. Yeah, the, the, and like, I mean, obviously, we're not we, were we at risk from having the OnlyFans <laughs> Leisure Center up in the north? Like, oh. <laughs> that would that be hilarious. <laughs> Like, did we need a law for that? Um, Brazzers Southeast Center. I like, okay, maybe I'll like uh, the Kraken swimming pool would be awesome. Yes, that would Kra- be cool. the, the Kraken Rum Center. Yeah, I would. I, I don't know. I might go or swimming. Or even in. Captain Morgan Swimming Center. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> were these things? Were Were we worried about our libraries being named after cigarette companies? Like. The Virginia Slims Library was this yeah, a big risk? This, this, <laughs> I don't think that there's that many things that are happening like that. No, but again, I like so the fact that that's what we're talking about, though, is it like yeah. so now we can have children's libraries named after gas companies? Like that seems right. like that does seem a little weird to me. Like the Enron Library, um, it seems as weird as. The Virginia Slims Library or, or the Brazzers Library, right? <laughs> there, um, I can see why this, why the oil companies, you know, were uh, put into this group in this sense, like because yeah. it seems accurate. Like, but the whole naming rights thing has gotten a little out of hand when we're worried about city facilities selling naming rights. I guess, yeah, um, that just seems weird in general. Like, uh, I'm I'm not anti-capitalist in a lot of cases, <laughs> but that still seems a little odd to me. Um, this isn't like this isn't where a major NFL team plays. I guess I, again, um, I guess yeah. it's not owned by the city. Like Mosaic Stadium isn't owned. I guess owned by the community. It's all complicated and stuff. But like, yeah, 
It's yeah, yeah. I'm not sure the details exactly of who owns and who gets to decide those things yeah. for that. But um, I don't know. So, but again, this part <laughs> where where the, the 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 big reveal that yes, it was oil companies, you know, pressuring. Like, yeah, we like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We had that propaganda campaign that we talked about at the time with the ads on Facebook and the, with the Facebook yeah. page with three likes. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I we knew we who this was. <laughs> grateful they're not more competent. I don't know. Um, but I guess that part's not surprising. The, again, the, the, the bait and switch from, you know, naming rights versus advertising is, is a little disconcerting that. The pretty much the entirety of the media, including some fairly left wing media, sort of yeah. bought the line, um, and uh, and you know a reporter who has however many stories they need to cover and has so much time to do it in, um, like obviously you and I aren't paid to do this, but even people who are, are they going to spend the entire time? Like, are, are they going to invest the entire time reading a whole? bill cover to cover or are they taking someone's word for it at some point yeah <sighs> so okay elon fucking musk not quite <laughs> as not quite as much venom as john fucking gormley yeah <laughs> but, but still you know elon musk yeah elon musk <laughs> i don't know this one Kind of is pr- in some ways more more a good news than a bad news, kind of sorta. <sighs> this is from the Estevan Mercury. We often don't yes. talk about uh, some of our smaller cities. We talk about True. Saskatoon and Regina a lot, but uh, the city of Estevan invited Elon Musk to yeah. view their carbon capture technology. Yep. Um, he tweeted uh, looking for. Something to invest in, uh, I think yeah. it was. It's, well, it's, just, to- it's it's the newest X Prize, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. Because the original X Prize was the, like the original X Prize was all about built like, essentially what is what led to SpaceX being formed. Um, is my understanding of the history of that. Um, and this is like a new X Prize. Yeah, yeah. So then. Uh- I guess the city of Estevan, they're proud of their carbon capture technology. And that's. And this may be where my ignorance comes in. Carbon capture technology seems like one of those technologies that got made political when it probably didn't need to be. Um, And this Mm. is where I am going to be a little bit more critical of the left. Um, Carbon capture and storage is a good thing. Yeah, well, Um, that's right. And. Again, the Sask Party and the Conservative parties have used this as a justification for not cutting carbon emissions in other places, and and, and I <laughs> yeah. like that's not good. Right. Um, but taken on its own merit, this strikes me as a good thing. Yeah, I I can't. I the reason that. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit of a Corey's history. Okay. Fire away. <laughs> In uh, what year was it? 2000 and let's say nine. I was a conservative who was uh, a climate change denier and an avid, a rampant anti-communist. 
<laughs> like I went to Cuba and I was worried about, uh, my, because my, uh, my part, my wife at the time, we went to Cuba on vacation and I was worried about, uh, getting arrested because I had posted so much anti-communist propaganda, like uh, stuff on my, uh, uh, social media. Clearly I was not in touch with what was going on. <laughs> and the reason that I started to change my views on, uh, the existence and reality of climate change was because a friend of mine spoke so like adamantly, like he knew so much about the carbon capture technology and the studies around it that were coming out at the time. And he would not let go of the fact that climate change was real. Right. <laughs> and so, and he used this as, as some of his basis for his knowledge. And uh, so that carbon capture technology is part of the reason that I believe in climate change now. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, the idea that carbon capture then justifies continued coal use, eh. not so much. Um, yeah, there's, there has been, uh, since that time, like that, it was the, it was at the time viewed by many as like the, uh, the beacon on the hill, right? It yeah. was the thing that would save humanity from climate change. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, there's lots of evidence now to show that if we don't do other things, then that's not going to, it's right. not solving problem. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and I, I don't think, again, it's almost like the, the reverse, like the, the political reverse of the whole mask thing. Like masks aren't going to save us from COVID. Right. Um, <laughs> like we still need vaccines. We still need social distancing. We still need all of these other things. Masks in and of themselves won't save us. But they're not a bad thing, and they can help <laughs> slow down many yes. of the negative consequences. I think I think carbon capture, if viewed in the same way, right, like it, it yeah. is a harm reduction strategy. Um, as long yeah. as you know, as long as you don't put the bike helmet on and now start doing stupid things on your bike, right? Like that's yeah. that's where again, I, I do see some of the argument of okay, if we. If we make too big a deal of this, um, it can That's, lead to bad behavior. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, I have heard many, well, not many, but I have heard the anti bike helmet arguments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry. It's just not convincing. <laughs> no. And like, I get what I get. I get the science behind it. Um, yeah. But, but again, it's. There's sample space issues and there's some other issues around that idea. Yes. And again, like, then you just need to be like awareness of that plays a plays a role, and awareness that carbon capture isn't going to save us from the climate crisis. Um, yeah, but can be a can be something to smooth the transition. I think is not is not a bad thing at all, and and I think the left needs to be a little wary about vilifying a beneficial technology because um, simply because of sort of who has been the proponents of it in the past. Yeah. I, I it's a slightly different problem, but I find uh, myself at odds with many on the left uh, in the same way again about uh, like nuclear power. Yeah. Like I don't want to say it's the, the solve all the problems thing and it has its own issues, but yep. in our current crisis, we need to do something and this would provide us with uh, some power that would be without. Yep. The same well, carbon yeah. Equipment. yeah. And 
a transition to solar, a full transition to solar or wind, um, without causing some of the issues that are caused by rare earth metal mining, um, would be great. But like, yeah, is, but let's like that's true with so many things, right? Like all, <laughs> yeah. all as yeah. it, and again, just because everything has a downside doesn't mean all downsides are equal. Yeah. So I'm not saying the fact that solar energy requires some pretty significant rare earth metal mining that has a, a not small environmental footprint as well and causes some pretty yeah. significant human suffering in it, in the manner in which it's currently occurring. Yeah. Um, and like nuclear obviously has issues around nuclear waste. Um, uh, hydroelectric has major issues around the uh, footprint of uh, dammed waters. Um, like there's environmental impacts from that. So a lot of our non-fossil fuel-based resources, our renewable energy sources, still have environmental impacts as well. We just yeah. need to start looking at how do we how do we manage those and where are trade-offs and yeah, that's right. Like there are potentially ways to get solar power from a less harmful way, yep. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, so it, it, it's worth looking into. It is <laughs> absolutely. Um, storage becomes an issue. Um, yeah. Storage is the biggest one, right? Like once I think it, if we, once humans turn the corner on, storage of solar energy um again or i don't even say electrical storage because that's probably more closed-minded thinking than i need to be like storage of solar energy in whatever yeah. method we decide to can find a way of storing it even if it's not electric yeah um will be great that's awesome um but again it, it's we need to we need to look at things like carbon capture nuclear hydroelectric as ways to transition <laughs> to a to a so pure solar wind what have you method of yeah. fusion i know you know while we're while we're holding out for fusion <laughs> yeah that's right while we're holding out for fusion and for all of the uh there's also all these uh the the birds that are dying from all of the windmills yeah. <laughs> which is the big argument from uh People who previously never cared about birds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's many, well, many and, things that we need and, to consider. And again, like, like the wind turbines um, do still have some of the issues around storage. And, and like, yep. those are still issues there, too. So um, yep. wind and solar are time dependent. Therefore, you need to be able to store that power because you can't just increase or decrease the amounts of energy you're getting um, or, or maintain a consistent level of energy you're having as an input like you can with many of the other energy sources. Yeah. Um, I still think they're a better, a better long-term solution, but yep. yeah. So again, yeah. I think this is a good story. Uh, feel, my feelings for Elon Musk and my feelings for some <laughs> of the things that have been yep. used to justify um that carbon capture has been used as a, a justification for aside. I, we're not, we're not seizing the means of production today. Uh, if Elon Musk invests in our province, I'm happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Alcohol consumption increase in Saskatchewan leading to rise in harm. Anyone shocked by either half of that headline? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't think anyone is shocked by alcohol consumption increasing (laughs) during a pandemic. And I don't think anyone is shocked by the fact that an increase in alcohol consumption is also leading to an increase in harm. Yeah. The uh, wholesale operations of the Saskatchewan Liquor and Gaming Authority increased by 7.9% in 2020 compared to the year before. Uh, Four Seasons Sports Palace attribute the increase in, to consumption, saying it's been seen a soar in alcohol sales. And, yeah, I mean, we've talked about other forms of addiction, like you say, um, during the pandemic. And alcohol is a drug that people use to yeah. cope with stress, just like anything else. Um, so, it, it what I think is important to notice in this is I think no one should be shamed for a medical issue and, and addiction mm-hmm. is a medical issue. I like I've probably less so in the last six months, but I probably drank more in the first six months of the pandemic than I typically yeah. did. Um, I had other stuff going on in my life at the same time, but um, like there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. And they talk about a bunch in the article, but even just the convenience of it, like, at a bar, it's 10 bucks a drink, depending on the bar. Even a less expensive bar, you're looking at, you know, three, four, five dollars a drink. Like, yeah, for sure. Get like the, the days of buck a draft are, <laughs> are probably well, well beyond. And maybe that still exists somewhere, but you're the good dealing old with, days. <laughs> I, I think the last time I had buck a draft, it came in like slightly bigger than a shot glass and it yeah. was watered down. Yeah grossness right whereas like at home you're like depending on the quality of alcohol you're drinking you probably are looking at you know one or two dollars per drink give or take yeah. De- yeah, depending depending yeah. um and so like it's cheaper it's more accessible but even things like i'm working from home so like i don't have to drive anywhere yeah. um and you know if i'm going to be working noon till eight and i put a shot of baileys in my coffee i don't like baileys particularly but you know that's people can put a shot of baileys in their coffee at 9 a.m and it's no big deal because they're not driving anywhere <laughs> yeah, I, right. I get you're driving so your job is is somewhat yeah, different right now. Like, can, for those of us, other people <laughs> not if uber is listening in Corey is not drinking baileys before driving yeah. um uh, again, it, it shouldn't be drunk for work, um, but it's easy to have, you know, a, a drink with lunch or, you know, what have you when you're working from home. Yeah. So there's convenience factor. But again, it's everyone's bored out of their mind. Um, you know, yeah. like having a couple shots of rum in your Coke with supper or, you know, instead of a glass of water, have a gin and tonic. You know, these are easy things to do. Yeah. Um I was thinking about there was uh, there was an experiment done, and I thought this was recent. It was one of those weird things. I just had assumed this was a social experiment or a scientific experiment done in like you know ten fifteen years ago. Um, but when I looked into it, it was actually done in the seventies. So I'm kind of shocked oh, <laughs> it's not more mainstream yet. But there was an exper- uh, experiment done by Doctor Bruce Alexander again in the seventies. Um, that's it's kind of be known as the Rat Park experiment um, because scientists had found if you put a rat in a cage and give it two water bottles, one water with one water bottle with just plain water and the other water bottle with water laced with cocaine 
um, the rat will drink the cocaine water until it died. Like it would overdose. If you gave it the choice, if you gave it free access to cocaine, it would overdose on the cocaine. And everyone's like, see, this is the nature of man and the nature of beasts (laughs) is, you know, we'll take the instant gratification and we need to, you know, ensure this is, this is why we need laws to prevent drug use. Right. And what uh, Dr. Alexander did, he said, okay, let's change something else in the experiment. So instead of having a rat alone in a cage, he created these rat parks where the rats were existing in a social environment. It, 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 sort of like the rat like amusement park. So like there was the wheels and the slides and um, okay. all of this other stuff. But most importantly, um, there were multiple rats in the cage. Yeah. So you had social interaction with the rats. <laughs> And not a single rat overdosed. And in fact, most yeah. rats stuck to the regular water. A couple of them would go get a hit of the cocaine now and then. Um. <laughs> yeah, because loneliness kills <laughs> leads um, to addiction. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I, and again, this is from the 70s. So we've had this research for almost 50 years now. The 70s being almost 50 years ago is a cruel reminder. Uh, <laughs> um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Um, but we've had this research now for nearly 50 years. So we know it's true. And now, to be blunt, now middle class people are getting to experience this. Yeah. Um, where we're having limitations on our social interactions. And so it's causing this spike of drug use. The drug of choice being alcohol because it's legal and cheap and easily accessible. Yep. Um, you can get it delivered to your house. You can get it delivered to your house. Um <laughs> And on a, on a middle class income, it's not that expensive. Right. Um, depending on where you define middle class, but, but what I hope is what come, one of the things that can come out of this pandemic is a greater level of empathy for people whose lives had that similar level of isolation before the pandemic. Because if someone is working three part time jobs, 65 hours a week with only an hour or two in between each one. Because that's the thing that people don't take into account. I know you're experiencing this very hard. Two part-time jobs that eat up 40 hours of your week probably consume – like two hour, two part-time jobs that give you 40 paid hours of work Yeah, still uses up a considerably greater portion of your week than one 40-hour job does. Yeah. Like the, 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 so someone who's working three part-time jobs, working 60 hours a week, barely able to make ends meet, has kids that they're looking after. They have the level of isolation that most people are experiencing right now as their normal way of living, probably (laughs) even more so. Like, um, and that's, that's heck even in two income families that are with kids that are dealing with like a single parent, like, yeah, that right. I that is that is a single parent who is working for minimum wage, trying to get by, already has the level of isolation that many of us are experiencing for the first time under COVID. It's a different type of isolation, but it's still isolation. Um, so, how the fuck can we criticize alcohol and drug use in those circumstances when we're doing the same thing when given the choice? Yeah, it's. It's like I re- I was reading something. People who are like poor, they often get financial advice from people who don't don't know what it's like to be poor. 
right. or uh, advice on how to use their time more efficiently from people who don't know how about, you know, what it's like yeah. to run uh, their lives this way. But low income people who are working multiple jobs already are more organized th- than you can imagine and are already using every penny as efficiently as they can possibly yeah. use it with the exception of the occasional, you know, time they buy pot or, you know, or they go for a drink or whatever, when they get that opportunity, which the only time they get that opportunity is when it is strictly scheduled into their life. (laughs) (laughs) And I I may disagree. I I still think there is value in financial education for people who don't otherwise get it. So I I don't. (sighs) Yeah. I don't mean to say like that financial education is the problem. I, it's advice, unwarranted advice sure. from okay. random people. <laughs> yes. If, if the financial literacy that you're passing, someone is passing on is don't buy a fancy coffee. Yes. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, there, there are other things that just people don't understand about the financial system we live in that there probably are ways of, of people saving money or being less expensive and all yes. of that. But, yeah. um, so I don't, I, this idea that, Financial education isn't at all part of the solution. I want to pull back from <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah, but that yeah. still feeds into like we need to give people the time and resources to get education. And, uh, you know, it, in the end, again, I, I don't want to say Canada's that, you know, is inherently better than the U.S., but I think adding on health concerns on top of all of that, I can see where they have, you know, additional issues. But it, yeah. if you, if you allow people to have their healthcare needs taken care of, their, their subsistence needs taken care of, um, their educational needs taken care of, I, you will see a hell of a lot more people thriving and generating economic momentum um, (laughs) than you ever will by uh, shaming and treating people as pariahs because of addictions. Because again, it's, it's treating a symptom, not a cause. Yeah, that's right. So this is a really sad story. Yeah. And there's a lot of justified uh, anger surrounding this. Yep. Children housed in SASC government-funded group home were neglected and restrained, according to a report. Uh, children's Advocate calls on province to make changes to group homes. Oh. So as far as I know, this was uh, just one home. Yep. Uh, there were four children. Mm, yeah. This story is just about one home. Yeah, this It'll one is. Clear, true. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to pretend that this is an isolated single thing that never happens anywhere else. Um, yeah. But advocate Lisa Broda, who is an independent officer of the Legislative Assembly of Saskatchewan, uh, issued a report on Wednesday. And basically it said that this group home, uh, <laughs> the children were malnourished. Uh, there was no sensory or therapeutic toys or tools in the home. And COVID per, uh, protections were insufficient. Uh, I, okay. So the thing that, I mean, without reading the whole story right this second, the thing that occurred to me right off the hop was that, uh, we currently also have a movement to stop taking children out of the hands of indigenous peoples. Yep. Uh, uh, 
we as a society seem to think that that's okay and we can justify it with whatever reasoning we have uh and and often it's it's not a reasonable standard that yep. we would hold anybody else to correct and uh and then to see that some children are ending up in homes like this uh, I, I think the two go hand in hand. Stop yep. taking children away from indigenous families and placing them in homes where they could be harmed. Yep. And I, I say that without trying to say like not all the group homes that people li- children are placed in are like this, mm-hmm. but some are. <laughs> and that's and there needs to be the, the like the best interest of the children need to be the number one priority in any of these decisions. Um, and I know some people who are very left-wing, in a lot of ways more left-wing than I am, um, possibly even more left-wing than you are in a lot of issues, um, but have a very hard time with the idea of not taking children out of homes um, that they feel are dangerous. Uh, because they because there are situations um, where children um, in indigenous homes or any home, but yeah. like we're talking specifically about indigenous homes who are like who are in unsafe situations, and they and they keep coming back to, I don't want to let my fear of being called racist get in the way of protecting children, and I, I think you're still at that point conflating symptom with cause. Um, um. Uh, because I, I don't want to say none, but I would say the number of humans in existence that have intentional ill will towards their own children are an infinitesimally small number. Yeah. And, and that is an issue that is not going to be, based on race or economics or like that is a mental health issue at that point. And and even then, I guess that's not even sort of ill will. That is a mental health issue that that goes beyond. Like, I don't want to say, I hate calling people monsters. I don't want to say there isn't monsters out there, but like we know there are people who are actively abusive towards children. Yes. That is its own separate issue. But a lot of the, no one wants to be neglectful of their children. Right. Um, Yeah. Like that, that isn't like, these are people who love their children and have circumstances that are preventing that love from manifesting in a way that the children are safe and taken care of. And rather than investing all of this money, taking children away from their parents and away from their home communities in order to then put them in what could be equally unsafe circumstances. Why don't we take that same resources and put them into giving people the supports they need to look after their own children. Um, And like there was um, this was out of Manitoba and I, I I guess dropped the ball. I didn't follow up on seeing what happened with it, but there was a pilot project where um, in situations where children needed to be taken away from their parents, they reversed it. And so instead of taking the children out of the home, they took the parents out of the home. Um, so the children who were needed to be taken away from their parents for their children's safety stayed in the same home. And then a foster, the equivalent of a foster parent then came into 
that home and allowed for the transition of the parent back in there. Um, and there was supports in place to help the parents. Um, yeah, parenting classes, things like that. Um, I could see a lot of positive things about that. Like, uh, not, not the least of which is that the parent is, is automatically assumed to be transitioning back at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's no easy solution on this one. Like this one no, is, that's right. It, it, because again, we, we do know many of the kids who find themselves in homes like this one are, are taken away because of legitimate negative circumstances. Um, the st- again, the standards though, and this is where the standards by which we judge parents is yeah. certainly heavily influenced by race and economic class. Yeah, um, race, class, and economics. Like all, like those are a, a pretty significant intersection. Um, yeah, I like. I I know. I, I like. I am incredibly confident in my kids not being taken from me Um, because, and again, I don't think I've done things that would warrant it, but like, I I think the threshold for someone who looks and sounds like me is a significantly different threshold than, um, than indigenous Canadians or the Canadians who um, don't wear a suit and tie to work. I think, and I mean, I don't know for sure if the statistics bear this out, but I think that there anecdotally, there have been cases where it becomes difficult uh, to justify removing a child from a home when it is from a wealthy or a white uh, middle-class family. And where it seems like if those people, that family was uh, indigenous or even even white and uh, poor. Um, the justifications would not have to be made, yeah. in, uh, you know, they don't have to make those. It doesn't take the work, right? right. Like they yep. just do it. <laughs> yep. And and but right. I do know, I do know. Like I say, anecdotally, I know specific families where uh, somebody has called like child services on them, yeah. and they come and they examine the house or whatever. And because it's a nice house, that's well kept. Um, nothing changes. Like if, if you can't prove that the person is being neglectful or abusive right in that, you know, moment, then nothing happens. But if you go to the house and Mm -hmm. it's a kind of a rundown house or it's, or it's dirty or it's, you know, not up to what you consider your standards, then suddenly the justifications start rolling into your head. Uh, and I mean, that's just natural bias. I think at that yeah. point. Yeah. I was just saying, and now thinking back, like I had two different circumstances with my oldest son where we had to call poison control because he got into something he shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> once where he drank a bunch of NyQuil um, and the other, I had, I had a bad, I was really sick and I had a codeine cough syrup. Um, okay. And he, he got a, uh, one dose of that. Yeah, I had my dose sitting in a cup, um, and then he ended up drinking it um, while it was sitting Whoops. there. Yeah, <laughs> my up, my upstairs is a circle, and one kid went one way, one kid went the other, and <laughs> I chased the wrong kid. Yeah. Um, but I thinking back on that, I never was scared to call poison control. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
That says I, a ton, right? Right. So, um, how how many other Canadians could find themselves in a similar circumstance and go, uh, if I like, what Am would I gonna happen? Get, yeah. Am I going to lose my kids because of this? And like I said, I didn't have that fear. I was scared for the kid. Like, don't get me wrong. I like, um, not overly because I knew the dosages. And I was like, uh, and again, I called right away and was told, yeah, it's fine. One case they said, just watch him. The other case he did have to go to the hospital and, and they had him under observation and he was fine. Um, but I never, I didn't get scared of losing my kid because of that. Um, yeah. and there've been other circumstances where they, you know, because you made scared. a mistake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a human being, <laughs> as a human being. Right. Um, cause that happens. Um, yeah. So to the home itself, um, I, I think one of the things that's, you know, the province says they're going to follow the recommendations of the report. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a positive. Um, one of the things that gets talked about when we're dealing with any sort of child abuse scandal, whether it's within a religious institution or a sports institution or what have you, is the whole idea that there are bad people in all walks of life. That gets brought up. It's not just priests. You know, you could find this anywhere. And my counter to that is, yes, you're right. You will find bad people anywhere. It's not just priests. And I, you know, there's issues around some of the religious indoctrination. But but it's the culture around it. It's the yeah. what are you doing to stop the people who will do that? And again, the, with this home, what was being done to ensure that this home didn't end up like this in the first place? And well, what are yeah. we going to do going forward? Like these recommendations, um, again – Following the report, a publication of the report, the province issued a statement and it will accept all recommendations. Um, I hope they are held accountable to actually doing so rather than just saying they will and then yeah. not putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. There's no. something, something in the system clearly failed yeah. if, if it got this bad in the first place. Yeah. So. Whether, whether it's, I don't know. I don't know if there's like something and I, I don't necessarily want to say that. Like, I don't know these people. I don't know the people that ran this group home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, they clearly didn't do what they were supposed to do. They, like, I try to be an empathetic person. I try to understand why they are the way they are. Uh, something happened that, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We also don't know how long it had been going on for. Um, yeah. So, how, like, it, it's also, I think, important that this didn't get caught because of a routine inspection or the province doing follow-up or anything like that. Like that, I, I think I would feel a lot better if this was a, it took way too long to catch, but at least it got caught. Um, this got caught when a seven-year-old kid ran away. Um, With and, no clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this got caught because it, had to like something yeah. some like this wasn't a there was an inspection and something came up this was a seven-year-old boy ran away i believe was picked up by the police um and yeah. then the the like then that was traced back to the home um a seven-year-old boy with complex care needs yeah so yeah yeah found lost naked confused in the parking lot um, and, and yeah, again, it's, it, it's, yeah, 
um, when they like that led to the investigation, which then discovered they had been struggling with staffing levels. There had been internal discord. There were other critical issues. Um, so, uh, how did it get this way? That's yeah. the question, right? How? So, um, they're not obviously the province is not going to be um, giving out specific details about the home or who or names because right, children right. involved, right? So that's yeah. Um, yeah. That said, the one thing that I guess the other thing that is concerning um, is the fact that the home was uh, sorry, the group home was not named in the report. But the the article talks about how um, CBC previously reported the home um, was operated. Oh, so I, I, they are saying which home it was. They don't name the re- home in the report, but um, they do know which home it was, and it was operated by a for profit company named CBI Health Group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's uh, as capitalist I am. I don't really think this is really where we should be profiting. Um, I don't think that's a a recipe for success. We're seeing a lot of uh, for profit homes cause having issues with staffing in the long term care facilities uh, during COVID. Yeah, and that's been a, a huge issue all across Canada is yeah. these for, for-profit long-term care homes. And I'm wondering if maybe uh, there are certain things that just shouldn't be considered viable as a for-profit business. Um, yeah. Although, you know, I'm just a dirty commie, so. <laughs> and, I, like, and I'm not. So, um, I, for the, yeah, again, this is... If it's important enough to be run by the government, it should be run by the government. <laughs> and like yep. for for, lo- for long term care homes, I don't necessarily think it all like all have to be run by the government. I think you know if someone has a, has the money and wants to pay for a you know their lug you know pay for luxury in their w- waning years, you know, great. Um, but I mean, sure, yeah. I guess <laughs> but for your average, for your average person who, you know, this yeah. is just how they have to live. Yeah. yeah. So I know this story is awful and there's so much about it that is awful. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, I, I think the, the takeaway is, you know, at this point we do need to have um, oversight um, and more careful oversight of what happens going forward. And again, I, I don't think this is a political, like, I think no. this is a bureaucratic issue. I don't think I think this this is something that transcends political party. I feel um, like everybody should be on board with fixing whatever caused this. I'd really like it if conservatives would stop lying about <laughs> budgets. Um, yeah, if we could start uh, being honest about how important a deficit is versus <laughs> yeah. Well, I, years ago, I, I, I sort of posted like. So the, the left will often say things like, hey, in times of um, economic downturn, sometimes it makes sense to temporarily – this is not even the left. This I would consider a centrist view – temporarily run a deficit um, in order to stimulate economic growth with the intentions of once uh, we are back on an economic upswing, um, we will – shift back into building up that surplus so that we have a rainy day fund when the next economic downturn 
hits. And use right. of these levers can help slow down the growth of the economy in order to sustain that growth over a longer period of time. Um, whereas on the flip side, you know, running that deficit for a short period of time or for a long period of time when the economic downturn is happening allows a softer landing to the trough. And the right will just say, no, deficits are always bad. Yeah. Um, or come out and say, we're not running a deficit. No, but you're spending more than you're taking in. We're not running a deficit. Because that was what the, <laughs> that was the Sask Party line for years. They just would run a deficit and not call it a deficit. Yeah. Um, because, like, if you or I found ourselves in a spot where the amount we spent every year was greater than our income – but we were dipping into our savings, we would not be able to call that a balanced budget. No, that's right. Right? Like that. And yeah. there are times you need to do that. That's why you have savings. Right. Um, and especially like, hey, I've been saving up to buy a house. And the year in which I buy a house, I ran a fairly substantial deficit because I withdrew. Um, For sure. <laughs> and arguably, and like when you're transferring assets from one asset class to another, from cash assets to property, you know, there's something to show for it and you can make an argument there. Um, but when it's simply dipping into a rainy day fund in order to yeah. like, to not have to <laughs> admit that you're running a deficit, like do it. Like that's again, that's why those rainy day funds are there. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that during a boom. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. But now that's, this nonsense yeah. of like, Six months ago, um, during the election, criticizing the NDP for predicting exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. Like literally mocking the NDP for saying exactly what you're – like <laughs> that's where the hypocrisy comes in for me. Yeah. Um, and it just happens so for like, again, it's not like the left never does this either, but it just doesn't seem to happen to the same extreme where it's just this constant that could never happen. And then when it happens going, no one could have predicted this. Like <laughs> listening to Harpower, it's, it's as if there was some big surprising thing that no one could have ever predicted would happen. Right. Except, uh, except it was predicted. Yeah. Except like this is literally what everyone was saying <laughs> yeah. six months ago and you were making fun of them for saying it. Yeah. Like that's, that to me is where the frustration comes in on this. Um, and like, uh, I, I don't know, like I said, it, it just, it seems like we go through this all the time where a, a lot of the solutions the NDP and the conservatives or the Sask party brought to the table during the election were not that different from each other. The budget predictions weren't that different. Right. And yeah. what we're now seeing as far as when this ask party is probably going to return to surplus, um, if they ever return to surplus, because I'm also not naive enough to think that in, you know, the bump, the estimated date for surplus by two years. And then in two years from now, not bump it another two years. Like I, I'm right. not naive enough to think that we will ever get past this. Um, like where they're saying now is, is essentially exactly where the NDP were saying. Yeah. So I just, the idea that 
and, and again, everyone made fun of Trudeau, the whole the budget will balance itself comment, um, which was taken out of context. But you know, of course, that, that is what it is. <laughs> um, and I'm not a Trudeau fan by any stretch, but like the idea that you can cut the deficit, not cut spending, not increase taxes, like all, all the one of those three <laughs> is going to have to give, unless yeah. you are growing your economy at a faster rate than you are growing the demand for government services. Because it's not just growing your economy. If you're right. growing your economy, but you're also, there's a demand for government services that are growing at the same time. So again, most commonly a growth in population will cause that, but other things can cause it as well. Um, unless you're doing that, you, you have to do one of those other three levers. Um, and, and just this idea that like we would do it by magic is ridiculous. Um, yeah. cause the, again, the Trudeau quote that was taken out of context talked about here are the things you can do to stimulate economic growth. And if you stimulate economic growth in these ways, the budget will then balance because you're in, yeah. you're not increasing your tax rate but you're increasing your tax revenue by increasing the economic growth and therefore increasing the total of what you're taxing. You're, you're increasing the denominator essentially. Um, right. Yeah. So, which again, that sound like, but you can't say that during a pandemic and a time <laughs> of uh, economic stagnation. And again, what did like what was being predicted? Like it wasn't as if we weren't in the middle of the pandemic during the election. This would be different if the election was a year ago. I would probably right. be cutting Mo a heck of a lot more slack if the election was a year ago from now. Or and like right, we were leading and we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the first lockdown. So yeah. if the if the election had been February of 2020 as opposed to the fall of 2020, sure. You know what? No one, few people could have predicted it would be as serious as it is back in February. Right. Um, but we're going to come out of it. And even then, to now be saying, oh, oops. <laughs> I'm also, like, again, this is part of that thing, too. I'm also not even as angry at the Sask party as everyone who believes them. <laughs> like at this point, when do you realize you're Charlie Brown kick, like kicking the football oh, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the SAS party is Lucy holding it there? Yeah. That's right? right. Like she's done this over and over and over yeah, again. It, it's so, not, this isn't new. And I, we said that on our early shows, right? When we were doing election analysis, we said this exact same thing. These promises and predictions that the SAS party is making are going to be the the football that's yanked out. Um, yeah. So they uh, they can't follow through on on ninety percent of what they say. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, well, I mean, for a variety of reasons, but yeah, I think it's because their ideology is inconsistent and incoherent. <laughs> Probably part of that. <laughs> because yeah, like like the very idea that you will always have be able to say that deficits are bad even when you're in the middle of a pandemic is it's just on its yeah. face, a denial of reality. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like, because then you have to admit you're like, you're a shitty government then because they took over when there was a surplus. 
Yeah, that's right. Like, you know what? Like, it's both. The rainy days fund didn't come out of nowhere, right? Right. <laughs> like, the Sask Party took over when the province had a record surplus and a record rainy day fund. Yeah. Like, so, like, and if you're if you're going to stick to deficits are always bad. Yeah. Then you have to acknowledge Wall was the one who bucked the pooch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or you just come out and say, hey, sometimes, you know, deficits are necessary. Right. And just be like, honest. <laughs> just be honest about it and acknowledge, like, you've got to do one of the two. And I can already hear the, you know, the people going, oh, you lefties, <laughs> you know, you all want nonstop deficits or, oh, you lefties, you're going to attack wall no matter what. Like, we can have a, we can have a honest, fair discussion about either one of those points, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can, you, you, I can disagree with someone on either one of those and heck I can probably in a lot of circumstances see the other side's point of view on either one of those. Right. But I, I can't have a good <laughs> faith conversation with someone who is arguing both of those points because in doing so they're doing it in bad faith. Like yeah. that's, Anyways, yeah, I guess I can find 10 minutes worth of things to talk about with that story. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think maybe maybe at some point during our uh, our podcasting, it might be worth discussing the uh, the fact that the NDP, when they when they had the rainy day fund, they were essentially a fiscally conservative government that was cutting a ver- a variety of uh, things in various places like they were doing austerity in a lot of ways to get that surplus. And then at the time, the SAS party and the conservatives in the province were pissed off because hospitals were closing. They were pissed off because this was happening and, and the buses were no good and whatever else they were complaining about. And then they, they're, they're the other side now. Yeah. They always want to say like, the left is the one that wants to run deficits all the time, but then the left was the one doing austerity and doing the <laughs> conservative thing. <laughs> yeah. you know, and like that's, that's, that's true both like on the national level and the provincial level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, you and I are, are not spring chickens. Um, like <laughs> I remember the Jean Chrétien cuts and the Paul Martin cuts. Yeah. Um, and like, there was a lot they did that was significantly more conservative, for lack of a better term, fiscally conservative, for lack of a better term, than I certainly thought was prudent. I was a lot more fiscally conservative at the time than I am now, so it was probably more in line with my beliefs then than it is with my beliefs now. Yeah, same here. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it's, times change and people change, and that's, that is what it is. But I, that, that seems to be a pretty common thread in Canada um, where the right talks the big talk about being fiscally responsible. But when it but comes down to it, <laughs> they spend just, I guess it's not even as if they're doing lower taxes because at least then again, is that then there would be consistency, but they spend more than the left does too. Yeah. Like they, it, they spend it on different things. Yeah. Like big projects, right? Like they yeah. don't, uh, instead of helping <laughs> low income earners, <laughs> right. uh, they, you know, they don't want to give out handouts, but they'll, uh, fund a, uh, a new, uh, ring road or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So, and like, and some of that, you know, again, you can have 
just based on where of course where infrastructure yeah. in, infrastructure should be invested and and yeah. all of those things. But again, it's just it's not like what we call the right wing in Canada, the Conservative Party, the SAST Party, the UCP, you know, what have you. It's not like they spend less. They just yeah. tend to spend less on healthcare and education. Yeah. Um, and spend it in other places. Um, because again, if it was just, if it was lower taxes, um, and, you know, chop taxes, chop spending, um, all together, like, then you're at least giving people a, a fair assessment of what to vote for, or what to vote against. Right. Um, I, I would still, you know, vote against that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. But at least you, again, is that, is that consistency there and, and people get to actually pick and choose what they want. So, yeah. I guess that's the problem with when what you're offering isn't actually what, what people want. Yeah. Then, then it comes down to you either have to change <laughs> what you're offering or lie. So Yeah. You can find us at anchor.fm slash from many peoples. Our Twitter handle is at skpoliticspod. Facebook.com slash from many people's strength pod is our Facebook page. And you can email us at from many peoples at gmail.com. Or if you want to buy us a coffee. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash from many peoples. All right. Well, well, thanks again for organizing all the technology and having. I'm sorry about the lighting. I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my face is awfully pink today. <laughs> better than, I'm, better than my rig. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, it was great getting a chance to chat with you again, Corey. Um, as always, I appreciate all the, the hard work you do and to, to making sure we're able to chat together and let other people listen in on our thoughts. So uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. You bet. Have a good all one. Right. Take care.